I play that because I want you to to get your mind locked into what we're going to talk about this morning. And, and uh, we are actually, believe it or not, in this, it's going to turn out to be a 16-month series. Some of you are like, really? Is there any other book in the Bible other than the book of Matthew? Because that's where we've been for almost 16 months. We're actually in the last kind of mini-series mini within the broader series about what it means to follow Jesus and being his disciple. And talking about, we're in Matthew 24 and 25 for like the next four or five weeks or so, talking about Jesus' return, the return of the King. And I played that clip just so you, you, so you kind of get a context, um, and we'll talk a little bit about, about this this morning. Uh, so Left Behind, you know, kind of the craze. Anybody, you know, have the books and seen the movie and all that kind of stuff? Okay. It's kind of this end times craze that the church kind of jumps on a bandwagon, and then they get the culture thinking about it. And, and, and now, hear me, it's not that, that anything's bad about Left Behind, but it creates this kind of alarmism and this panic, and, this, and, and, it, and it really gives a very narrow-focused kind of one theological understanding of end times that somehow leaves out kind of the broader understanding. And I played that this morning because I want us to, as we step into the series, and, and, I, and I give you a, a little bit of a, 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 maybe an apology on the front end, especially th- this morning. This is going to be a fire hose on end times because of the volume of what Jesus covers in the first 35 verses of Matthew 24. It's a lot to take in, but, but hopefully you've had sufficient coffee today so you can embrace what you're about to hear. But I say that because the, the next few weeks, what we'll do is Jesus kind of launches on and responding, we'll see in a couple minutes, responds to some questions of his disciples and gives tons of information, but then begins to tell stories or parables to illustrate how you and I should be prepared for his imminent return and prepared even possibly in, even within our lifetime. So before we, we jump into the passage, I want you to, to understand that there's a key key thing that Jesus mentions in verse 8. And in verse 8, Jesus says that what he's describing for his disciples about the end, about his return, is like labor pains or birth pains. He's using an analogy like, like when, when a baby's going to come, there's this process that begins with the water breaking, and then there's labor pains, and then there's this the, the intensity and the frequency gets more and stronger, and then eventually the baby comes. That's what Jesus is saying when it comes to the signs that you're going to see and experience. It's like labor pain. So just think about that because it's really important to understand what Jesus is saying. So if, if, if you're a parent, you've experienced that process. If you're a woman, I, I, I take my hat off to you because you are studs compared to guys. I mean, we, we're wimps, but you have to actually give birth to the children. But I've had a front row seat for Courtney and Jordan to watch that process happen. And when Courtney was born, um, Kim's water broke at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. I was at the church for a meeting, and this was back before, like, cell phones were the craze. I actually had a pager. Anybody remember what pagers are? And Kim and I had a little code, and the code was 911. And if I saw 911 on the pager, that means the baby's coming. So I got that, and I hurried home, and we got her to the hospital. So it's about 7 o'clock, and, and the doctors looked at her and said, sure enough, your water broke. We're going to have a baby. And we're like, all right, we're excited. And so like, all right, let's go, right? We're ready for the baby. And then 9 o'clock rolls around, and you know, she's feeling some labor pains. And then noon, and then 4 in the afternoon, and still feeling some pains, but you're like, we're not really making her progress. And then it's like 9 at night, and you're like, still nothing. It took till past 4 a.m. the next morning for Courtney to finally show up. Over 22 hours of labor. Now, some women, you've got that beat, you're maybe 36, I don't know, some crazy numbers, but I mean, it's insane. But as we watch that process unfold, when Kim's water broke, there's like, okay, the baby's coming. But no, the, the baby wasn't there yet because there was these labor pains that still had to come. 
And the only way that we knew that we were getting closer was because the intensity and the frequency of those pains became more and more close together so eventually you know, okay, we're, we're getting closer. Now, the reason I say that is because Jesus says that intentionally because we have a tendency to want to get everything wired perfectly so we understand all the information and how it's going to unfold and we get our charts out and then we get to the extent where we do this, this pardon me, but the stupid thing of predicting a date when Jesus is coming back. We do. That's why he said it's labor pains. I couldn't told you when Kim's water broke at 6 a.m. that it would take another 22 hours for Courtney to get there. I would have said, and for Kim's sake, how about another hour? That would have been better. That's why Jesus said, he said, there's only one person who knows when I'm returning. That's the Father. Nobody else knows. So anytime there's a date, and that's why we, we get all specific about, okay, if you read this, and you read in Daniel, and read in Revelation, and you look at Matthew, then we have this, all these charts, and we map it out, and we'll talk about that and what really the most important thing is in all of this discussion. But a, but a couple of disclaimers on, on the front end. So there is a wide range of interpretation when it comes to end times within the body of Christ. And what we're going to look at this morning, what Jesus describes in Matthew 24, is this period of time known as the tribulation, which will come. It's a seven-year period that he's describing that will come just before his return and the things that are going to transpire during that time. Now, within the body of Christ, there is a, a range of interpretations of this thing called the rapture. In fact, what you just saw on the screen from left behind, there is a clear bent towards one interpretation of where that rapture, which means where the church will be actually taken up out of the world, that that will happen at the beginning of the tribulation. That's called pre-trib or pre-tribulational rapture. Now, there's other views that halfway through, like about three and a half year mark, that's when the rapture happens and the church gets taken out. Then there's a post-tribulational uh, theology that says, no, it comes really at the second coming. It comes when Jesus returns. So it's after the end of the tribulation. So I say all that to say, don't worry about what position you have. Now, somebody's like, what? You got to be pre, post, mid. Just be pan. It'll pan out in the end, okay? That's really, and the reason I say that, because some of you are like, oh man, I'm really like hardcore pre-trip. Here's the reality. If you get hard and fast on any one of those interpretations and you're wrong, you'll be very disappointed and confused when the end comes. Because I've had, and by the way, I'm not going to give you my interpretation or if I'm pre-mid, post. I'm pan, okay? Let's just go with that, all right? And the reason why is because people say, oh, Pastor John is this. If you, if you land on pre-trib, guess what's going to happen if it ends up being post? You're going to say, wait a second, am I in the tribulation or am I not in the tribulation? I'm not supposed to be because I'm supposed to be out here. Am I saved? Am I not saved? I don't know. And there's this mass confusion. We'll talk about how you and I get beyond that. The most important thing that you and I need to understand about this discussion is there's one unifying person in all of this, and his name is Jesus. And he is the barometer, and he's the one that we focus on, and he's the one that if you and I will keep our eyes on him, we don't have to worry about all the things that the world says or the culture does or even the church goes into this panic mode as long as we keep our focus on him. So jumping into the passage, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to start, we're just kind of going to work our way through the the passage. There's a lot to cover. But in in verse 1 of Matthew 24, let me read the first three verses, because Jesus gives us all the information we're going to get in a response to two questions Two questions that his disciples were asking him. So it says in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and called his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So now he's got their attention about what the future is going to look like. 
It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So there's two questions they're asking him. The first one is when. And the other is what. And so Jesus responds accordingly. And so what I want to begin with is the first kind of major portion of Matthew 24, Jesus talks about kind of these when signs that you and I need to be aware of and how that will unfold in our human history and our experience. So the first, again, the first sign that we can kind of be aware of, you can look at verses four and five, is the rise of this figure called the Antichrist or Antichrist, because listen what Jesus says. He says in verse four, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. So Jesus is saying, as history unfolds, and especially as you get to the tribulation, you're going to have multiple people who will come in our world, and they will make this claim, I'm Jesus. And we've already seen that happen many times in our culture, you know, historically in the world, people have made that claim, I'm the second coming of Christ. And you're like, no, you're not, I can tell. But, but Jesus says there's going to be people who will do that. And then ultimately, there will be one figure who will be the Antichrist, which is a false Messiah that will set himself up as, or themselves up as, the ultimate authority. And it will be on some kind of global perspective, because it won't just be localized. It will be something that, that over time, and this is where, I, because we don't have time this morning, we can't get into the passages in Daniel and the passages in Revelation, but the, those are good to go and read. In fact, um, I think probably later this afternoon, we'll have some, some resources that will be posted on the hub on the website that will have kind of one scholarly approach to revelation and interpreting the different views and then there's another one that's this is this handbook that's really kind of a uh, almost a humorous kind of look at end times but it does a great job of defining all the terms so you understand what people are talking about those those resources will be on the website but but daniel gives us some insight on how this thing's going to unfold so the antichrist so we know from daniel chapter 9 we won't get into the specifics but we know he's going to be some kind of unifying figure that will have the ability to bring a peace treaty with Israel. And, and before this all happens, the sacrificial system that historically was in the Old Testament that Israel lived over, under will be reinstated in Israel. We know that because of what Daniel says. And because of that, you, go, you have the sacrificial system, you have this unifying kind of this person that brings peace. And so you know, okay, this looks like the Antichrist. But you and I don't need to hold our breath and think, oh, is that the Antichrist? Is that the Antichrist? Because it's going to unfold. Because we all know, all, it's so funny, I, you watch it, and, and, and I haven't been alive that long, but I know in my lifetime, I think there's been like a dozen antichrists in the church. And it always ends up being the person that the church doesn't like or the person doesn't like, right? So we all know that Oprah Winfrey is the antichrist, right? <laughs> haven't you heard that when you fun? Or if you're a Republican, everyone agrees that Obama is the antichrist. If you're a Democrat, we know that George W. Bush was the antichrist, right? That's the, usually the way it goes. Isn't it funny that none of them turned out to be actually the Antichrist? Because we hyper-focus and we think, oh, okay, let me get out my chart. Where's it supposed to be? It's the an-. We, we, we lose sight of it. But Jesus says this is one of the signs. Remember, one of the labor pains that you're going to be able to see and know that something is getting closer. Second sign that Jesus highlights is earthquakes, famines, wars, and persecution. So verse 6, going to verse 13, says, Jesus said, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Verse 9 says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. 
At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So what is Jesus talking about? Now, when, he, when you and I read those verses, does that sound like anything that's happening today? Wars, earthquakes, famines, persecution. Is that happening anywhere in the world today? Yeah, it is. But you know that those things have been happening throughout human history? That sometimes, oh yeah, there's, there's more persecution today. There's more earthquakes. Well, if you live in Southern California, there is more earthquakes. Because that's, go move to Oregon and watch people go through an earthquake. It's pretty funny. We had a little like 3.6 when we were in Oregon. And people were like, oh my goodness. They're like, did you even feel that? It's like, but like anytime there's an earthquake, oh, that's, it's the big one. There's more coming. And hey, there's a war. And it's been true throughout human history. Remember, Jesus said these are labor pains, which means... Labor pains increase with frequency and and intensity over time to indicate. So when we get to the end and we get to the tribulation, there will be a dramatic increase in wars and persecution and earthquakes and famines, more than we even are experiencing right now. But the point is that we're not to panic. There's going to be unrest on the earth. There's going to be unrest amongst nations. There's going to be unrest even amongst Christians. Because Jesus says that their love will grow cold. They'll be deceived in, in their understanding. See, sometimes you and I have to, to look at this in terms of there's a long period where there's going to be these signs that will increase. But you and I have to be patient in the midst of all of these signs because not one sign is the sign except the one at the end, which we'll talk about. But there's this anticipation, but there has to be a a window of time that we are, okay, that's happening, that's happening, but I know it's still coming, it's another labor pain that's coming, and anticipation, not getting so hyper-focused that we can't do anything else, we're paralyzed because this has got to be the one. You know, we sell all of our possessions and we move up to the mountaintop waiting for Jesus to come back, and we're sorely disappointed when he doesn't. People have done that, believe it or not, and it's happened within the last decade. It happens all the time. It's kind of like when I was a kid, we had our, our favorite cousins. Anybody have like favorite cousins where you like, you really bond with them? They lived up in the Bay Area and we were in, in San Fernando Valley. And so when we would get together, it was like, it was so much fun. It was like Christmas and going to Disneyland and your birthday all wrapped up into one. It was like, it was awesome. So we would always anticipate when they were coming. But this was when I was younger, way before cell phones and GPSs, you know, that tell you you're going to be there at 536 in 17 seconds. You know, we, we didn't have that. And so we knew the day that they were coming, and we had an idea when they were leaving the Bay Area, but we didn't know exactly when they were coming. They would always give us a window. So they'd say, okay, we'll probably be there between like 4 and 7, because we don't know how long it's going to take if there's traffic, and we don't know how many times we're going to have to stop, and you know, all those different factors. And so just know that we'll be there between like 4 and 7. And so I remember when 4 o'clock hit, I'm like, they're going to be here. So I would literally, I'd go out in the front yard, and I'd stand there. Any car that go by, it's like, is that them? Do they get a new car? Is that them? I'm not sure. And so I get all excited for three hours. I stand out on the front lawn and like, oh, every car going by and every car and waiting, waiting. Because when they would come, literally, we would, they would do it to us. We would like mob the car, barely let them get out. We'd just be hugging them. And when they would leave, we would chase the car down the street as far as we could go. But I remember for that three hours, it's like, I can't do anything else. I just, I'm just waiting. What Jesus is saying is, listen, there's a window of time when there is going to be wars and famines and earthquakes and persecution, but don't stand out on your front lawn waiting for something to happen. Just mark that saying, it's getting closer. 
Something's going to happen. I see the frequency increasing. I see the intensity increasing. So I know that something's coming, but it doesn't mean that you and I put everything else on pause because these things are increasing around us. Third thing that that Jesus highlights of the when signs, when this is going to occur, is that all people will be reached with the gospel. This is what's cool. Look at verse 14. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus says one of the signs of you know of the when it's going to happen is when every single subculture, language group, people group, every nation in all of the world has had the gospel penetrate it. That doesn't just mean like nationality. That doesn't just mean like, okay, all, all those who live in Ireland... The Gospels reach it. No, in Ireland, there's probably multiple people groups. There's subcultures. If you go to Turkey, Zach would tell you the same thing. Within Turkey, there are multiple people groups. So that means the Gospel penetrating every single people group on the planet. This is what's crazy about this, is that God has invited us to actually play a role in the time frame of when Jesus returns. This is within our grasp. This is what's so crazy. That if we are able to reach the world with the gospel in our generation, Jesus will come back. That's what Jesus is saying. The gospel will be preached. How is the gospel preached? Through the church, through his people, through people who live out a life of mission. That's how it happens. And so we're in this period of time between when Jesus died and he rose from the dead and he went back to the Father until he's going to come again. We're in this period of time where people call the end times, knowing that Jesus is eventually going to return, which is a long season of God's patience. Patience, I think, on two counts. Patience for the world to respond to the gospel and his love, and patience for the church to gradually wake up to the reality of the Great Commission, to reach the world. Listen to what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is waiting. In fact, Sometimes it might be helpful for us to see, you know, we know that God is loving and he cares for us, but maybe sometimes we should see God up in heaven doing this. Come on. Jesus is like, come on already. People need to hear the gospel. There's unreached people all around the world. Come on. I'm sure he's like, he's wanting. Why? Because God's desire is to be with us. And he is through the power of his Holy Spirit, but he wants to be face to face with us. He's like, come on. We can do this. And this is what's crazy. In our generation, in our lifetime, Jesus could come back. He could. We have a role in that. In fact, Dan Stewart, who many of you know, Dan was one of my Bible college professors before he was pa- pastor of the church here a number of years ago. And one thing he said that just stuck with me when we were in class one day, he said, listen, he said, you're going to see Jesus in your lifetime. I'm like, Dan's going to call out a date right now? He's coming back? Is it really going to happen? He said, no. He said, listen, if you die, you're going to see Jesus. And if he comes back, you're going to see Jesus. Either way, you're going to see Jesus. I'm like, wow, you're right. We are going to see Jesus. But think about in our lifetime. There is the possibility that we will see Jesus return. And we have an impact on that, on the way that we respond to making disciples of all nations. Just, just let that sink in about, about how God has invited us to be a part of his plan. Then the fourth sign that Jesus highlights, and this is where everything starts to change. This is about three and a half years through this thing called the tribulation. We know that from passages in Daniel. But in number four is the abomination of desolation. Sounds really horrific, and it is. Because Jesus goes on in verse 15. He says, When you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. 
Jesus is referring to an event that will occur about halfway through the tribulation where the Antichrist will set himself up or themselves up as the ultimate authority, as God in the world, and do it in such a way that it will occur at the temple where something is desecrated, where, where the worship of the true God is no longer the focus. It's the worship of the Antichrist. And it will be so horrific that nobody will question. Everybody will know what's going on, what's transpiring. It will be that. It will be global in its impact and effect. And what Jesus was saying is in a moment, this is kind of that turning point. The first three and a half years are bad enough. The last three and a half years of the tribulation, it will be like nothing we've ever seen in the history of mankind. What will unfold, in fact, which leads to, to the fifth thing that Jesus begins to explain about, and that is the Antichrist domination. So let me read verse uh, 16 through verse 28. Because Jesus says, now that the abomination of desolation happens, and then this is what goes on next. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that the flight that will not the flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For there there will be then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, that's the church, that's people who follow Jesus, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, or do not, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out, or here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man." Whenever there is a car- wherever there's a carcass, there will be vultures that will gather. So Jesus is saying, listen, once that happens, you are going to experience wars, famines, persecution, earthquake, like you have never seen in the history of the world. That will be something that will be horrific. And that's one of the things that, uh, that's what I mentioned earlier. We have to be careful if we get hard and fast on when the rapture happens. Because if you hit the second half of the tribulation and you were pre-trib all the way, you were in a world of hurt. But if you said, you know what, it might be, and this is, a, I hope it's pre. I'm just telling you, I'll take the ticket out at the beginning of the seven years and the one at the end. But Jesus is the one who determines that. The Father knows when Jesus will return. So that's why we need to be aware. That's why Jesus is explaining this to us. So understanding that there's going to be this intense time. It's, again, remember the birth pains, the contractions. They're getting really intense. They're getting more severe. It's getting closer and closer. What? Until Jesus returns, just like when a baby comes. It's the same kind of thing. So Jesus says these are the, the, the signals or the signs that are determining kind of the when. And then he goes and he talks about the what. The impact that you and I need to see that will happen around us. Look at verse 29. The first what sign is that they'll have a, it'll have a dr- tremendous impact on creation. So verse 29, Jesus says, Immediately after the distress of these days, or those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and heavenly bodies will be shaken. This is going to be done in such a way, it's not going to be a localized earthquake in L.A. or San Francisco or wherever. It's going to be something so significant that it will affect the entire planet. Jesus is talking about, can you, imagine, can you imagine the sun going dark and the moon not having light? And can you imagine, like, not just one shooting star, but, but stars falling from the sky? This is going to be something everyone around the world is going to be able to see and experience and know what's going on. 
You know, we always see movies, they try to, in Hollywood, they try to per portray like the end of the world. No movie's ever going to come close to what we're going to experience, or what we're going to see. There's this incredible impact on creation. Again, it's a huge contraction that's coming before the baby is birthed. And something you and I have to be aware of. Because then, it's kind of like when you, when you reach that point, if you've been a part of that birthing process, it's like the contractions are so strong and so frequent, it's time to push. That's when this is. It's like, okay, he's coming. We know he's coming. It's getting closer. And the second thing, Jesus goes on in verse 30 and says, not only impact on creation, but right before he comes, there'll be an incredible impact on people. Verse 30, it says, And then will, uh, or then will appear the, son, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What's Jesus talking about? See, here's what's going to happen. See, throughout our lifetime, God constantly is reaching into our lives through the truth of the gospel in Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, getting our attention, saying, you've tried to become your own God. It's time for you to surrender your life to me. It's time for you to, for you to be with me. And he does it through circumstances. He does it where we live. He does it through our family. He does it through all these different things. He's reaching out to us because he wants us to be with him. But when we choose to reject that and choose to be our own God, then what? this is what Jesus is describing. When he returns, when the Son of Man comes, when the world knows he's coming, and when he shows up, there will be a collective mourning across the globe because people will know, oh my goodness, this is real. They will know who he is. In fact, pardon the expression, but it will almost be like, holy crap, seriously, that's Jesus. That's the one that I rejected my whole life. He's real. And he is coming back. And all those crazy Christians who've been waiting for him to come back and telling them they're coming, they're right. That's why there'll be this collective almost weight that will come like, oh, it's true. I am accountable for my life. Can you imagine all at once, all of that coming on me? I just can't even picture what that will be like and what that will feel like for somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe on a very, very small scale, it's kind of like, anybody ever been pulled over and gotten a ticket? Anybody willing to admit that? So I remember the first time I got pulled over, and, and when Kim and I were dating, and, and I was working in Hollywood, living in Van Nuys, and driving up to Ventura. I didn't get much sleep for a long time. But I would drive up to Ventura, hang out with her. My curfew was 1 a.m., so I had to be home. And I figured out if I left at like 12.15 or 12.20, if I drove really fast, I could get home by 1. And so I would always drive really fast and, and never really kind of pay, you know, you kind of, sometimes you kind of pay attention to the speedometer, but you really don't want to because you know you're going too fast. Anybody want to admit you do that? So, so I would do that and be like, oh, I could get home fast. And so I'm driving along. I was on the 101 somewhere like near Agoura Hills and, and I, it's late. I got the windows down because I'm tired and I want to stay awake and my music's blasting and I'm just cruising along trying to get home. I'm in the fast lane next to a semi and I'm just cruising along. I'm looking behind me. I was checking my rearview mirror, and there's nobody behind me. The highway is just dark. And I'm just cruising, and then all of a sudden, boom, a Christmas tree just lights up behind me. And then I'm like, oh, it's like almost blinding in my rearview mirror. And so I'm like, oh. And it's like that feeling you're like, okay, there's no way I can get out of this. There is no way. And I just, at that moment, I just happened to glance at the speedometer, and it said like 75. And this is when it used to be 55. I'm like, oh, no. So I pull over, and he gets out of the car. He comes up, and he's like, so, how fast do you think you were going? I'm like, uh, like 70? That's what I said. He's like, 
yeah, that's the slow gas. Yeah, he goes, no, you were a lot faster. He goes, but I'll be nice to you. He goes, I'll write you up only for 70. I'm like, oh, man. But that feeling just at that moment, if you had that, when you're like, I'm done. I can't get out of this. He's got me. You know, your heart starts racing, and you're like, there's no way out. Take that times a million, and think about what it's going to be like for someone who doesn't know Jesus. When Jesus shows up, they're going to like, oh. It's like what Nicolas Cage said in that little clip. Every time she talked of God, talked about God, I turned and walked away. That realization of what I, what I should have done and didn't do. So Jesus explains there's one last thing in, in verse 31 to 35 of the impact on the church. So what happens... So we see what happens to creation right before he's about to come back, what happens to people, and then what happens to the church when he comes back. This is the cool part. This is like the, the, the pinnacle. In verse 31, it says, Jesus says, And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you will know that it is near right at the door. I tell you, uh, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. What is Jesus describing? He's describing the moment when he comes back, when he'll send angels and they will take the church, the people who have given their lives to follow Jesus and have understood what his death and resurrection mean and the forgiveness of sin and turn from their life to follow him. He scoops us all up and we get to be with him. It's the moment of the wedding It's that anticipation where the groom and the bride finally come together after all the waiting, after all the preparation, after the culmination of all this process of courting, and finally get to be together. Just think about that for a moment, what that will be like. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, that will be the most incredible experience you and I have ever known. He will be there, and it won't be like, oh my goodness, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Finally, he's here. Anybody remember, if you're married, remember your wedding day? Hopefully it was a good experience for you. Mine was like the time of my life. But, but I remember, you know, Kim did like 95% of the wedding preparation. Guys, you know that's true, huh? Your wives did all the planning. Don't pretend that you did, right? But I remember the anticipation and, and the excitement. And, but I remember just as we were getting, I got to the wedding day, and, and I was just, I was oblivious to all the planning and everything. But I remember I got 10 minutes before the wedding. I'm hanging out. I had two best men because I needed more best men than the average guy. And so we were kind of in this side room before we went into the church, and it hit me. It's like, you'd think I would have caught this a little sooner. But 10 minutes, no joke, 10 minutes before a wedding, it hit me. I'm getting married today. It's like this realization, like, I'm getting married today. Oh, my goodness. Like, this is like a lifelong commitment. This is huge. And, and it's like started even, in fact, after we got out with Kim around the honeymoon, it hit me too. I'm responsible for her now too. It's like, oh, no, all this stuff, you know. And so I'm starting in this panic mode. In fact, I told my two best men, I said, I'm freaking out. So we went in the side room, and I'm no joke. It's funny. We took a piece of uh, a paper towel. We crumpled it up, and we had a really long plastic or a, a cardboard tube that like, had a roll on it, and we played baseball for 10 minutes before we went out. I'm like, I need to calm down. Please, let's do something. And then when we walked out and we got into the church, and the church was filled with people, and they're all staring at you, and like, then the heart's really like, oh, you know, pounding. And I'm seeing all these people, and most of them I don't even know because they're all from Kim's side. Like the bride's side's huge, and the groom's side has my family, you know, kind of a thing. And then the, bride, the, the wedding party comes in, and I'm getting more nervous. And then they, clo- they close the back doors. And then the music changed, and then the door opens. And Kim's standing there with her dad. 
all of my fear went away. I didn't see anybody else in that room. All I saw was Kim. And she started walking towards me, and I just, it was like, I'm getting married today. This is awesome. This is incredible. She told me later she had the same thing, this great anxiety, and then she saw me, because we realized we get to marry our best friend. Nobody else matters in this room. Just think about that, 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 that moment when Jesus gathers us to him and we see him face to face. It's that moment. It's like, this is what I've been waiting for my entire existence, my entire life, and now I get to see Jesus. We should be relatively excited about that. That should be a moment that we anticipate. It has a direct impact on us, the, the church. And then let me close with this because as we head into the next few weeks and we talk about the ways that Jesus says this is the way you need to be prepared there's, we just got a fire hose of information. I understand that. It's the end times fire hose. How do we respond to this? How do we manage and navigate what we've just heard or what we're learning from, what we're reading about, what Jesus said? Three things I just want to highlight. The first thing is in verse four, and that is we respond by being attentive. Be attentive to what's happening. Jesus says this in verse four. He says two simple words. He says, watch out, which is be aware, be be alert to see what is happening in the world around you. Be aware what happens on the other side of the globe impacts you even though you live thousands and thousands of miles away. Be aware. And I think that's important because I'm telling you, it's so easy culturally for us to kind of get into a rhythm where all that really matters to us is our home, our family, and our job. Or in Simi Valley and maybe, maybe California, maybe our country. But we live in such a kind of a routine that we forget about what's going on in the world. And so we're not alert to the different things that are going on. We're, we're not aware of what's happening because we become so kind of just focused in on our routine. And we, we miss the bigger picture of what's going on. So that's why we talked about even in terms of the gospel. But we really should be global Christians. That what happens in Turkey should have ripple effects of what happens in Simi Valley. Because we're all part of the same body. And we're in this global realization. The world is a lot smaller than it ever used to be. When you can hop on a plane and, and almost the same day get to almost anywhere on the planet, that's crazy. It's a small world. When somebody in West Africa gets Ebola, it affects the rest of the world. It's, it's, you and I have to have that perspective. Being alert and seeing what's happening around us. And then there's, there's a second thing that we're supposed to do in verse 6. It's really something we're not supposed to do, but don't be alarmed. Jesus actually says it. He says, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus is really smart. He can look down the, the, the historical kind of focus, and he can look at the church, and he goes, man, they're going to freak out. I know they're going to freak out. They're going to do really crazy stuff. They're going to react to some one sign, and they're going to think that's the end-all sign, and they're going to do stupid stuff, and it's going to make them look dumb, and then they're going to be disappointed because they don't come back. I'm pretty sure he was thinking that because he was God. Like, for example, anybody remember Y2K? Yeah. That's an embarrassment for the church because you know who was leading the charge of the end of the world's coming? The church. Now, I, don't, I wasn't at this church back then. I was pastoring another church at the time, but I knew a lot of churches, and I had a, like a strong contingent within the church I was pastoring. It says, Pastor, we need to be ready for the end. And they brought me this whole packet of how to prepare for the end. We need water. We need top ramen. We need, I mean, the list. We need batteries and flashlights because, you know, when it goes from 1999 to 2000, the computers aren't ready for that. And so 
airlines are going to crash. We can't get gas. Electricity is going to stop working. It's all, it's all the end. Jesus is coming back. I'm like, oh. And what happened? What happened? January 1st, 2000. Anybody remember what happened? The Rose Parade still happened. The Rose Bowl still was played, right? All the normal things that happened every January 1st happened. Why? Because people, what did they do? They panicked. Panic will cause us to do silly things. And that's why many times the people look at the church and say, are you kidding me? Really? But I know there is a part of that. There will always be that kind of confusion when people look at the church. It shouldn't be because of, honestly, our own stupidity. And sometimes we do that. We, we freak out and we just... And that's why, just, uh, just, just be careful. That's why with the Left Behind series, I'm not, this is not an indictment on Tim LaHaye and his theology, but just be careful. Don't hyper-focus on one particular theological situation when it comes to the end times. You have to be careful because nobody knows all the details. There is no perfect end-time theology even though sometimes people think they do. But when we get locked on one, that's when we start to panic and we start to hyper-focus. Get the broader picture of what Jesus is saying. And then the final thing is this, and this is really the most important thing. It's kind of like when you've been in a long seminar class and, and the instructor says, if you haven't heard anything else, this is what you need to take away. This is what it is. Focus on Jesus. You're like, oh, man, pastor, it's been 40 minutes. You could have said that right at the beginning and we could have been done. But Jesus says in verse 30, they will see the Son of Man coming. All the birth pains, all the the labor pains lead up to one event, the Son of Man coming, Jesus coming back. This is all about Jesus. This is the return of the King of Kings. It's about Him. So if you want to make sure that you're ready, if you want to make sure, which by the way, you, you don't need to worry about missing the return of Jesus. You won't be like the Pharisees who like, is he really God? Is he not? Is he really the Messiah or is he not? He doesn't really work with our law that we've created. There won't be any of that. The whole world will know. Everyone will know. But how do you know if you'll be prepared to embrace him and you'll be the one that responds with joy when the lightning comes, when, when he comes and you see him, or the one that will respond with mourning? How do you know? If you keep your focus on Jesus every day of your life. If you understand this incredible reality that God's desire is to be with us. That's what God created Adam and Eve to be in the garden, the original garden, the garden of Eden. It was a context for humanity to live in relationship with God directly with no separation. But sin caused us to lose that. And because of that, we live in this state of being separate. That's why Jesus came to reconcile us back to God through the cross. Through his death and his resurrection, he covers our sins so that we could be with God. And that's what this whole process is about. And that's why if you and I key on Jesus, we focus on Jesus, we follow Jesus, I don't have to worry about who the Antichrist is. I know he's going to come and I'll be alert for that, but I don't have to worry about who he is. I don't have to freak out if there's an earthquake. I don't have to worry about if there's intense persecution, although that impacts our lives as believers. I don't freak out about these things. Why? Because it's about Jesus. And if I'm obedient to follow him today, I don't have to worry about if he comes back tonight or tomorrow or next week, because I'll be ready for him. It's about Jesus. I want to close with this in a moment. I'm going to have us close our eyes, because if it's about Jesus, then each one of us has to come to the determination, how do we respond to Jesus? He's the key. The son of man returning. Do I know him? Have I chosen to follow him? So I'm going to ask you if you just close your eyes and bow your head, and I'll pray in a moment. We'll conclude our, our service today. But I also want to give an opportunity, and I don't normally do this because for me, 
the most important thing in coming to know Jesus is that normally comes through this process called relationship. But, but you know, you may be here today and, and there's a part of you that you may be a little confused, maybe there's a little panic in you, but if you were honest about where you're at right now, you would say, you know, I, I don't know if I really know Jesus. I don't know if I've really surrendered my life to I don't know if I've exchanged my agenda for his. And, and in saying that, what, what you're really coming to grips with is if you look over your life, if you were really honest, you would say, you know, I, I've chosen to kind of be my own God. I've chosen to live life my way because I thought I knew best. But, but then also, if you're also honest as well, you would look and think, you know, I, I haven't done a very good job of being God. I haven't done a very good job of trying to make my life what it's supposed to be. And you look at the brokenness and the pain and the failure and the sin in your life, and you know it, it just hasn't added up. But the good news is that Jesus has loved you so much all of your life that even to this moment now, he's reaching out to saying, listen, you can be secure in your future. You can know that you will see me someday and you will respond with joy. You can know those things if you choose today to surrender your life to me, to embrace my forgiveness to cover your sin from your past, to turn the page, to move into a new life, and no longer try to be the God of your own life, but allow Jesus to be the one who is the king of kings, the one who's on the, 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 the seat that, that sits on the throne of your heart, the one that is in charge of your life. If I'm describing what you would desire today, and you have not in your lifetime made that commitment, but you would like to do so today, I'm going to ask you to do one simple thing. I'm going to ask, everybody's eyes are closed. Even right now, your eyes can remain closed. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And the reason I'm asking you to raise your hand, and just to keep it up, is so that, not that I can somehow say, okay, yeah, you've done it, you check off the box. But even right now, in a physical sense, you're saying before God right now, you're, you're saying to Jesus, I want your attention. It's almost like when you raise your hand trying to get someone's attention. You have Jesus' attention right now. And by raising your hand right now and lifting it high, you're saying, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to surrender my agenda. I want to embrace your agenda. I want to choose to follow you. Lord Jesus, you, you know the hands that have been raised. You know the hearts that are represented there. You know the commitments that are being made, and I thank you for that. Lord Jesus, we know this is about you. And so I pray, Lord, that those who are making that commitment today, that you would come by your grace and your mercy and you would bring forgiveness over their past. That, Lord, that you allow them to see, Lord, that what they used to be is not what they have to be in the future. So they can turn the page and they can move forward, turning from the way that they used to live, turning to the new way of life that you have for them. And, the Lord, as they move forward, that they would be this anticipation of the future that, if they were, Lord, we know if, if we are ones that follow you, if our life ends, this physical life ends, we see you. But if you come back, we get to be with you. And that we would live out with that kind of confidence and assurance every single day of our lives. Lord, help us not to be panicking, not to, to, to be overwhelmed, and to be with a filled with anxiety, but to be at peace, looking for the future, looking for you, planning that, the Lord, that you will return someday. But Lord, in the process being committed to what you called us to do, to make disciples of all nations, to be a part of the, the process that helps you come back and return for your people. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.